Welcome back to For the Water Cooler, the podcast where you get to chat with your favorite coworkers about what you watched last night. I'm Matt Scalisi, and joining me is my virtual office buddy who, for the last, like, 30 nights, has been watching exactly the same thing, and that has been The X-Files. Car- Caroline Darney, welcome welcome back to the show. It's it's finally here. X finally week. my time to shine. <laughs> X-Files week has arrived. We're doing... We're, we're, we're having blowout coverage on For the Win. We're also being joined by a very special guest today yes. later in the show, Stephen Godfrey, our our beloved college football analyst from Split Zone Duo, and also now, by the way, a Washington Post columnist. Speaking of speaking of like breaking open conspiracies, right? Isn't that perfect? We have a Washington Post columnist. I'm so excited to have like he's uh actually friend of the pod and former guest when we talked italian job uh ryan nanny i was looking around i was like who do i know that did act like big x-files fan he's like you've got to have godfrey on and i was like oh my god you're right and i Perfect remember we had a conversation with godfrey in the past uh because we you know i we'd worked together at sp nation and he immediately was like yes so <laughs> we are very lucky to have him. he's a busy guy uh and i think you guys are really gonna enjoy uh, if you like the show, you'll definitely enjoy the conversation. If you never watch the show, <laughs> watch the show. <laughs> we'll we'll wade into it. I, I, yeah. I look. I'll do my best to be an ambassador for this show. I love it to people who've never seen it because I, you know, I think Caroline, the X Files, in many ways, is a kind of building block for so many things that yes. have come after it. For yes. so many things that people watch and love today uh, especially for younger listeners who are let's say gen z or even younger millennials mm-hmm. they're they're aware that this show exists they know yeah. what the x-files is maybe they've even watched some of it but unless you were kind of alive when it was going on it's really hard to understand how much impact this weird little show yeah. had on the culture and how much it changed about the way people made TV shows it, after this without trying to sound too dramatic. Cause I've done a little research on stuff. So the reason we're, we chose this week, or I forced you to do this this week is it was the 30th <laughs> anniversary of the premiere. So September 10th, 1993, the show started. Um, and it had two unknown actors, uh, Jillian Anderson, David Duchovny um, in the lead roles. It was kind of, you know, a weird ish, a weird topic. You know, it's like extraterrestrials and weird things that happen and all this stuff. And I'm not kidding you. It changed the way that television was consumed and created from that point on. Whether you're looking at, you know, the the structure of the show had what were called the mythology episodes, which talked about the vast government conspiracy to either cover up the existence of extraterrestrials or as you get further into the show, like using alien DNA and viruses and like all this stuff, it gets a little convoluted, which is like the biggest knock to it and why it probably doesn't make a lot of like right. top. I think it's, a- it's one of the best TV shows ever made. And if you factor in the part about what it created and impacted, it's one of the, if not the most impactful TV shows because of the fact that this overarching storytelling was unusual at the time or right. unheard of. And then they introduced the idea of what they called monster of the week episodes. So like, you could tune in that Friday night or that Sunday night, depending on where in the show it was uh, or the run it was, I should say. And you could get an episode that kind of ties in directly with this big conspiracy and the syndicate and the mythology, or you could get an episode where there's a really stretchy guy who can fit into anything. And he's looking for five <laughs> livers and he's going to eat. This monster is going to eat she's, a liver. She's like, not making this up. This I'm not making that up. Yeah. I will tell you what, this is my favorite. <laughs> Anyone who's coming over <laughs> from big screen sports that found us this way, that way has heard this story before but uh child me uh saw the episode tombs which was the second of uh two first season episodes that related to this monster victor tombs who was a man who could stretch and get into like air conditioning ducts and yeah. really anything just pick it he could fit in and it was very creepy and he was a uh this weird monster thing that needed five livers and then he'd hibernate in a nest of his own making for 30 years. And then he'd do it again. And this was the second part of it. He gets paroled by the worst parole board in the history of parole boards. And I remember as a kid being so afraid, I was like nine, 
eight or nine. I probably shouldn't have been watching it. But I was so afraid that Eugene Victor Toombs was going to come steal my liver. I had this um, Dorling Kindersley body, like book of the body that was like about how the body worked and systems and, you know, things that could go wrong. I looked up where my liver was. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, it's a I large slept, area. Yeah, yeah, I slept on my right side for <laughs> years. Like, I'm not even, as if, like, this person, one, existed, two, yeah. made their way to Germany, three, uh, got all the way into our house without being detected and got to this nine, ten-year-old sleeping child and went, ah, crap, she's sleeping on her right side. Guess I'm out of here. Like, yeah, and, and it's it's funny because, I mean, that's a great – that's a great example episode to bring up and people talk about it a lot in, yes. in part because it's, it's such a good example of what this show was great at outside of what you mentioned, the sort of the alien soap opera stuff, which yes. is, which yeah. is also great. And, and to people who loved the show at the time, that stuff was really, really exciting and yes. there was nothing like it on TV, but you know, uh, in the era where a TV show had to do 24 episodes a year, they did 24 um, episodes, Matt. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's why it's taking me like you, six weeks to watch the show. I watched nine seasons of 20 plus episodes each. Yeah, you can't you can't sustain uh, an ongoing story like that for that many episodes. Yeah. And so, by necessity, a lot of the episodes were standalone. And so, look, this show wouldn't be as successful and as beloved as it was if they hadn't really figured out how to yeah. nail how to do an episode that was a, one of those standalone episodes. Yeah. And um, you know, the best ones, what it, what it drew from were all of these different things that we had never really seen combined into one before. It was a police procedural, yeah. um, and, and not just, not just a, a, a sort of run of the mill police procedural, but one more like silence of the lambs, which has yeah. been noted as a major influence on the show. So he there's even, that he even calls her Clarice in the finale finale season nine. Finale. <laughs> I mean, there's very, there's a lot of obvious parallels. It's, yeah. a, it's a redheaded uh, woman who's ha- got the very like scientific approach to what yeah. she's doing. But, but you know, that sort of like weird mix of uh, the uncomfortable place where like violence and sex meet each other yeah. in, in, in investigating serial killers and things like that. So you've got that, you got that little, uh, sphere of stuff. And then you've also got kind of the eighties slasher movie having yeah. an influence on it too. The, all, all of those horror movies like Halloween and, and uh, nightmare on Elm street and Friday the 13th, that kind of stuff having an influence on it too. And it's, it's kind of this, this beautiful uh, smoothie of weird stuff awesome. that you would never would have expected would work together no. um, and it does. And it becomes its own unique thing with these characters who you over time also fall in love with. That's the biggest piece. So I, I, you know, if you're saying like, Oh, Caroline, it can't just change the way we watch television or whatever, because it did this one format. Like, no. So we have the overarching storytelling with the individual standalone episodes. You've seen that replicated now with other shows. It obviously had a huge impact on, shows that followed that were spiritual successors like fringe uh supernatural buffy the vampire slayer i would uh, say lost them, i would say lost yeah. is a huge descendant of this show in too. a lot of these shows and this is what's fascinating to me if you are someone that likes game of thrones or entourage or shameless or um breaking bad or better call saul yes these definitely were all, every single show that i mentioned had a major writer, director, executive producer that worked on the X-Files first. And this is like, you know, all of those shows, even like I said, Fringe is a natural follow-up. Bones, uh, actually, sorry, not Bones, but Castle. Uh, the Rookie, even, which I enjoy because I, I just love him. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, of course, but Nathan Fillion uh, is in both Castle and The Rookie. But uh, so it, it was a building block for some of these people to get more, you know, their name out and get this kind of credit and go on and build things. So Vince Gilligan is the guy that went on to do Breaking Bad, um, Better Call Saul, and uh, Dean Norris, Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul were all in X-Files episodes, which I just love. I love this. There's also, go to the site, go to For the Win, check it <laughs> out. There's a 40-person list of guest stars. Uh, includes Ryan Reynolds, Shia LaBeouf, like people where you're sitting there, Lucy Liu and B.D. Wong are in an episode, and you'll be sitting there and you're like, oh my God, is that Lucy Liu? Um, but all of this 
that stuff is one thing. When it came out, 1993, just on the cusp of the internet starting to become a thing, and where the greatest impact I think was made is this kind of the the fan base that fell in love with X-Files naturally fell into the, it's like the, the, where they say like the Venn diagram is a circle. These are also the people that were interested in what you could be doing on the internet as it began. So fan forums, uh, discussions, it really started the, everyone who's, anyone who's ever done it, um, must see viewing of like game of thrones on a sunday night we're all on twitter communal watching this was the first show that had that idea of like communal watching on the internet like it kind of set the groundwork there um fun fact matt the phrase shipping so if you've ever shipped a couple real life (laughs) tv books whatever the phrase shipping or originated on an x-files fan forum and i have to double check the year it's either 94 or 96 based on the lead Mulder and scully who forever had the will they won't they right. <laughs> like they really kept it going too yeah and it's also a show this is what i could go on this stuff forever but chris carter's the creator had talked about he read these things like they were on the message where they got this is one of the first shows if not the first where the viewers were directly communicating essentially with the people making the shows and that's something that again was all very brand new and has changed the way that we uh the first online fan fiction like this stuff is and whether or not you like those things that's the question right maybe you're well, annoyed by the ted becca shippers from ted lasso and you're like they <laughs> ruined everything i um, i do but, think you know well i do think that like you know when we when we look at tv show fandoms today they're are very clear different types of fans. There, there are different ways that people tend to process their fandom and some people become creative about it and they mm-hmm. make fan art. They make, they make their own stories. Like you said, they're, they're yeah. doing, they're doing fan written episodes. So there's that type of person. There's also the kind of person who can't stop thinking about it and they want to consume more information. They want every piece of, of, uh, info and background and detail that they can get about a show. And that's really something that I think for, for fans like me, and I would consider myself in the latter group, the ability to go on the internet and go to a place where somebody has compiled this information and you can, you can digest more of it in between episodes. That is what really pulls you into the next level of obsession with the TV show. And obviously we know this today. I mean, every single TV show, even if even shows that are not even that successful have like yeah. their own fan wiki now. Yeah. But the X-Files was a was very much a pioneer in that area. It, and it wasn't even the show doing it. It was, as you said, it was the right. fan community doing and it. it. But was you could go fun. and spend time continuing yeah. to read about and think about this show in between episodes. And it was almost a pioneer in, or at least I'm trying to think of back the time that I was watching this, there weren't any other shows in which I was doing this, which was purchasing. I had books on the X-Files that were like sure. episode guides. Cause part of this, what we talked about offline before is that it was a time where if you missed an episode, Godspeed, hope you catch it on. Yeah. Reruns. You'd look in the TV I, guide and see what was on the rerun. If it was I, one you hadn't seen, they sold some of them. They never, they actually did not sell all of the, in order, but the ones that were like the big hits or that people in three VHS combos. And so again, it didn't cover all of them and you had to purchase them if you wanted them, but there were games, there were books, there were cards. I'll give you a quick example of, of and I had all of it. Yeah. I'll give you a quick example of how we had to deal with uh, our, our obsession. If we, if we happened to miss something at the time I can remember, and I, I wish I could remember what episode it was, but I can remember my family was going out on Friday night to some activity and I had set the VCR up to record the X-Files and there was a power outage and the VCR reset. So I missed the episode and I was so devastated. And my dad uh, who worked in television, my dad used to work for the golf channel at the time. um, He, he basically knew the right words to say and like the, the, the terminology you'd have to use and the person to call. And he said, look, here's what you do. Call the local Fox affiliate and tell them you really, you missed the episode and you 
would like to be able to see it and see what they can do. And they, the local Fox affiliate Stop. in Orlando sent me a VHS tape with that episode of the X. So this was like, that's three, incredible. This, this was, you know, like, look now the second something airs, yeah, even if you can't find it streaming somewhere, somebody's already illegally ripped it and put it up somewhere that you could download. But this was like the access to the show you loved was extremely limited. You you had yeah. to do it on their terms, which I, as as like as somebody who has two kids in their early teens now, like having conversations with them about television, there are just fundamental concepts that they don't understand. The idea of watching something live because it's your only option, it's totally yeah. foreign to them. They cannot oh, understand. Wild. Yeah. yeah. And the, look, this show was just so impactful to me. Like, I don't, my sister and I obsessed over it. And I think the strength of it, and this is what's beautiful now. Like I said, 24 episodes a season. And guess what? They weren't all great. But overall, I still think it's a top 10 show. Like, I just, I do because it, and it all comes down to David, David Duchovny and Jillian Anderson, because there was no duo like that, especially at the time, to have a very attractive couple lead that weren't romantically linked was unheard of and honestly kind of still is now even shows like bones that have followed the same or similar structure where you have a skeptic and a believer and stuff like that they still like they end up together and people want them to end up together and like all these things but um the way that they play off each other and the way that they just build that relationship the the working relationship over several several seasons and the beauty of him saying ridiculous things and Jillian Anderson with the perfect like what let's (laughs) let's like let's dig into this because also in the early 90s right a, a if you put a man on screen with a woman there's an inherent expectation that this is a romantic relationship or is going to be uh, because there's no, and really a lot of that comes from the fact that there's just no other way to view a woman on screen in a movie. In the nineties. Yeah. She especially, is, especially one as beautiful as Jillian Anderson. Like, right. She's meant to be there as an, as a romantic object for the male lead. Yeah. And this show, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say that they did not play up the sex appeal of the two leads, but he's shirtless more than I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> not complaining. Everyone remembers the speedo scene. Uh, Dwayne Barry when he gets out of the pool and he's wearing this red speedo. They love getting. Uh, we've seen a lot of FBI agents in pools in this yeah. podcast so far, but, <laughs> but but like the fact that they have that really what the show is built on is a man and a woman respecting each other as colleagues who are good at their jobs and respecting each other's opinions and building a friendship. Now, look, eventually, does it go there? Yes, because this is a television show that went that went four seasons longer than what the creator had originally intended for it to. So it kind of had to go there. But for, for, for that, that sort of magical early run of the show, I think when the show is at its best, it's when Mulder and Scully are actually showing that you can have a functional working relationship yes. with a person of the opposite gender where romance is not a factor at all because the other person is there because they're good at what they do and you need them. And they don't, they don't shy away from having a relationship that just isn't sexual. Like that's the thing. Like they have a relationship. They like each other. They like each other a lot. They're best friends. They care so deeply. And the number of times that one of them puts their life at risk to help or save the other is like, you lose track, but there's just so many. And it's, it's just so oh, it's so good. So I'm trying to think of like some of my favorite episodes. Well, let's so would, do that. Let's yeah. look, let's let's shout out a couple of episodes that you Ice, remember being having a big impact. Ice. Yeah, it's the uh, they go to the Arctic, um, and it's a it's a very similar vein as John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. There's a handful of them in a confined space where they're investigating what happened to the core drilling team that was there. Turns out they had drilled. Uh, it also, it's really terrifying now that there are like news stories coming out that I'm like, that was an X Files. I think of that episode every time they're like, "Hey, they found a worm in the ice, and we're gonna yeah, fall." Leave it, it alone. <laughs> oh my god! But there's a great scene where they only have they figure out that like 
two worms together in the same host will kill each other and then you just pass them and you're fine but if there's it's such a you good know, conceit because felicity but, huffman is in this one and so, there's like down to the last like trying to figure out who has it so because they're going to put the worm right. in that person but she's saying she doesn't they're going to put it in Mulder. Mulder's like if you put it in me that'll be two of us that are infected like it's just yeah. so good it's a great great, great premise in, in yeah it, it it takes a very familiar concept and then it adds some layers to it to make it a lot more interesting and original. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the one that, that jumps out to me. I mean, definitely you, you mentioned the, the two that involve tombs were oh, yes. ones that, that jumped out at me early yep. on and got me into the show, but I was very much a guy who was into the alien conspiracy. Element yeah. Okay. I really loved it. Yeah. And I can remember, the, I think, I think we've looked this up before. I think you said it was in season six. Is that yep. right? Which is pretty yeah, late. Two fathers, one son. Which was, a, a there was a, a mid season. Yeah. Big unusual. event, a two episode event yep. uh, where they were kind of like hyping it up in, in ads for the show of like, you're finally going to resolve the big storyline. You're going to learn the big mystery. Yeah. And uh, I can remember that being such a big deal to me. I, I, I went over to my, my, my parents knew some friends who liked the X-Files and we like went over to their house to watch it. And we had like, I mean, we turned it, we turned it into a watch event. And yeah, I, I suspect we weren't the only ones who did no. that. That was an era where enough people watched a single TV show that pretty much every year there was something that big going on yeah. where people would get together and have a watch party for the show. Um, um, I remember Clyde Bruckman's final repose. repose. Really, really good. That that's the, that's Peter the, Boyle. is that the Peter Boyle yep. episode? Yeah. And he's a reluctant psychic, but he can only tell when someone is going to like how someone's going to die. Not, he, he predicted like, uh, the big bopper's death. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, no. so, and then there's like the, the stupendous yappy is the one that they bring in to actually do psychic work on the case that Mulder and Scully go to. And he's, he's like, there's a whole scene where like, he's like, I don't like your energy. And Mulder thinks he's going to be talking about Scully and he's talking about Mulder. He's like, he's like, you've got a closed mind. Uh, and that's also where she gets her dog Queequeg, uh, <laughs> which she has for a couple episodes until he sadly make, meets his demise in the quagmire episode, which is a Loch Ness monster vibe one. Um, Beyond the sea, Brad Dourif plays a, uh, yes, Oscar winner Brad Dourif. Yeah, clairvoyant uh, guy on Death Row, and it's a beautiful. His work with Scully, with Gillian Anderson on screen, is incredible. Uh, Dreamland Brad, one and two. Brad Dourif, by the way, has that incredible thing where like every single word that comes out of his mouth, he's just like you can see like spit flying off his lips when he's doing yes. it. He, I, I love I love Brad Dourif. That episode's he's great. Outstanding. Um, we've got. Uh, another monster of the week that is always one that's associated with the X-Files is Fluke Man, the host, uh, right. season two, which is... Uh, I, Basically a, a giant tapeworm the size oh, of a human. God, the scene where they finds refuge in a porta potty I did not use a porta potty for years. Horrifying idea, yeah. After that. Um, I'll, I'll throw another one out there that I remember really freaking me out. And I think it's actually generally regarded as not a great episode, but uh, it's called Chinga. And I, uh, the believe, doll. I believe it was written by Stephen King. And Dude, it is terrifying. Yeah, so it's, terrifying. it's one of those, basically the premise is there is a doll mm. that whispers to people and we don't ever hear i want to play no she says i want to play and then she convinces you to hurt yourself yes really really freaky stuff yeah Um, i remember that one bothering me a lot darkness falls where they end up in a woods uh that one has titus welliver aka bosch um and it's when the when there's no light then the bugs swarm you and cocoon you and drain you of your blood that's a great episode. Dodd Calm. They end up on a <laughs> ship where the water is making them age faster. That's what a great episode. Is, what is the one, Caroline, where they're on a ship that was in the the Bermuda yeah. Triangle and they um, find themselves in the 1940s or something? Yes, and it goes back and forth with like a uh, um, triangle is what it's called. The World War triangle. II ship that disappeared and then reappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. So like Mulder, real life Mulder is on it with like, and all of the characters. It's kind of like a... Um, it's time vibe, where yeah. it's kind of like oh, oh you were there and you were there and like cigarette smoking man's like the lead nazi and, like, and that's i mean that's a great example of yeah. like this show actually as as dark and grim as it sounds 
it actually could get really fun at times. Really and they, funny. they had a lot of fun with their yes. with the premise and they would do sort of uh, com- lightly comedic episodes. Yeah. Or some episodes frequently. that were like overly, com- or not overly comedic, but there's no but straight up like horror comedy. Yeah. yeah Arcadia, they were a married, pretended to be a married couple that had like, basically they moved into a neighborhood that had like really strict HOA uh, rules yes. because like if anyone broke the HOA rules, the like trash monster would eat them. Um, incredible, incredible and satire. At, he did, the, and Mulder leads into this whole like, he's like, get back in here, make me a sandwich. Like, I, my sister and I would say that to each other because he was joking around with Scully that now she has to be his wife, whatever. Um, there is a great, Bruce Campbell is in an episode um, called Terms of Endearment. And essentially, he's the devil and he is trying to have a normal baby. Um, and then it's this whole thing, but it keeps ending up. They always notice these like bone growths, which are like horns on the baby. And it's like this whole thing. Um, but then he ends up with a woman who just wants a devil child. <laughs> and so like, she, he's, she's like, why are you trying to take my baby? This is all I've wanted. It's like a whole, it's a very wild. These episodes are just so wild. And I cannot recommend enough for people to go. It's on Hulu. Um, it's just a show that had such an impact on like what I watched growing up and what I loved growing Absolutely. up. And like, and I just I, love I, the impact that it has had on how we do stuff, now, how TV goes now. It's just such a fascinating thought experiment to me. Totally agree. Can't recommend it highly enough. Go check it out and go check out all of the incredible X-Files 30th anniversary content that's over at For the Win uh, right now. Before we dive any further in, Caroline, we have to bring in our fabulous guest yes. that we have today, Stephen Godfrey. So Stephen will be joining us right after this break. All right, back from the break. Super excited to be joined by our guest, the one and only Stephen Godfrey. I almost wore my Stephen Godfrey Hates Your Team t-shirt today, but it got, you know, trumped by the Mulder It's Me shirt. Um, but split As it zero. should. As, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I'm here to pay. Look, I don't, like, I podcast for basically a living in addition to other things. And I turned down 99.9% of requests to do anything because I'm yeah. a bad friend. And I'm very, like, I am not a nice person inherently. And we're all friends here, but, like, we also have mutual friends that can back this up. But when you texted me and you were like, it's about the X-Files, I was like, I'm fitting that in. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Like, we're so, yeah, yeah. We're so You're, excited. We, we, needed, we needed your your curmudgeonly Mulder like yeah. presence. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is like, yeah, this is like a mandatory Bible study. This should, yeah, I'm ready. Because <laughs> so, that's, and so I'll, I'll finish. So Godfrey, Split Zone Duo, recently at the Washington Post. We're very excited about that. Yes, yes. yes. Um, but you, you have, what was your intro to X-Files? Were you a day one, like, let me check this oh, God, out? Yeah. Like, what was the, how did you get into X-Files and what has kind of been your journey with this show? I, I mean, it was made for me. Um, <laughs> it, so it was September of 1993. I was 12 years old. My father was a special agent in the FBI. Oh my God. I grew, I grew up. I'm, I'm from Georgia as a sports fan that, you know, I claim like Atlanta sports and then I went to school in the SEC, but, I grew up in Prince William County, Virginia. So if you're familiar with the DC area, like um, I grew up in a, like uh, one of those planned cul-de-sac things where it was like FBI, ATF, secret service, (laughs) you know, department of revenue. Like everyone had a government job. Um, I grew up liking alien stuff a little bit and had not really bridged into the actual conspiracy culture stuff. And I'm sure we'll get to all that, but it was my day. It was literally my dad's job. So if you watch Silence of the Lambs, the first yeah. 12 minutes of that take place actually in Quantico, which is where like he worked for four of the 11 years that we were in D.C. He was in Quantico. And his old boss actually says the first line of the film, which is he tells, he says, Starling, you have a phone call. So I, I mentioned all that because Scully's influence was so heavily driven from yes. the Jodie Foster character from Starling. Um, I, I thought the show was made for me. Um, I, I realized at 12 years old, I love shows that are built on existential dread <laughs> i love the idea of you know and this led directly into the investigative journalism work i did in my 30s before i had a bunch of kids and like that's a hard life to live when you have kids but love the idea of taking on a conspiracy love like every single thing spoke to me and it was immediate and you know i joked before we were, before we went on like i i fell in love 
with these two characters, the, the two primary characters and the actors and have will always extend the benefit of the doubt to everything they do for, for time memorial. My wife can attest that she begged me to watch The Crown for like four years and I did not do it. And she's like, well, Scully will get you. And I was like, yeah, Jillian Anderson. <laughs> oh, Jillian Anderson. I was like, yeah, I was like, and you know what? I kind of like Margaret Thatcher now. Like, so um, it was, uh, it was made for me. And it was like, I was the, you know, uh, 12 years old, a band geek going and like, um, just a burgeoning nerd collecting comic books back then. And Matt, like you can attest, like it was, it was a great time to be that kind of nerd. Absolutely. Uh, it was the, a lot know, of the comic stuff. boom. Yeah. But yeah. we weren't online yet. And so right. to have this, you still kept a personal reverence to it. And, and unlike, you know, as a nerd, there were some things socially that you could reach out and find starting in 93, I was 12, but then it goes through as I'm in high school certain things you could connect on. I did not have anyone else in my life who liked the show. It, it was very much a personal sort of church-like thing on Friday nights. I remember yeah. when it moved to Sundays. Yep. Um, so every episode, roughly every episode, until about halfway through six, I saw live the first time. I faked two illnesses to get out of um, like major school events on Friday evenings like because I was forced to... I was antisocial. I was forced to uh, highly antisocial. I was forced to join the marching band one year in, at Osborne <laughs> Park High School in in Northern Virginia, and I faked what I guess today you would call like maybe like RSV because it was the season two premiere. Oh, it was a season great two episode. premiere oh. Anasazi, and I was so desperate after and I, and I'm like we're just gonna date ourselves. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we're, we're all way... are we all elder millennials slash yeah. right? Right. Young I, yeah. Guys? I'm. I always, yeah, I always claim young X and, and yeah, certain yeah. people rebuke that. Born in 81. But, like, um, when seasons ended in March, by the way, it was a season three premiere. I already misspoke once. Um, you're, you're, I was uh, like, I'm not going to correct him. Little Green Men was season no, two. No, no, he's no, talking no, about yeah. season three. This is how my brain uh, is working yeah. now. Like, <laughs> and that, I also think that was sort of <laughs> September. That fall was sort of the peak of awareness on the show. Not peak, yeah. but um, the kind of moment of arrival. So it comes on. I, like, I, dude, I remember. I remember the upfronts for this show being in newspapers because I would consume so much media. There was this terrible show called The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yes. And it was a sci-fi Western that Fox dumped the majority of its production budget into that year. It was Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Caroline, this they, was a Sam Raimi joint. That's 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 yes. why you haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's so a it hater. Had, it had Bruce in it. You know, I'm a hater. It, was, it, it, was a, it was a sort of... I don't know how gonzo sci-fi Western comedy. Um, Great description. And it, this was where Fox put its production money. They tacked on this weird, they took a flyer basically. Yeah. And, and like put about as much money as they would into like an old criminal procedural into the X-Files shot the pilot, like kind of shoestring, kind of on a lark. They hated the actors. They, cause they like Carter. I don't, I still to this day don't understand how they got so much leverage in casting. Uh, because he got who he wanted to. I mean, like Jillian Anderson, unknown. David Duchovny, yep. basically a, yep. kind of a bit player. Never thought of as a leading man. Probably not ex- not accessible enough, which ironically is what makes him Mulder. Yeah. Um, and so this was supposed to be a filler show that was eventually going to get canceled for this sci-fi Western that Fox was banking on. That show doesn't make it a season. I think it makes it a season. Yeah. And X-Files becomes a cultural phenomenon because... Again, I'm going to say this a thousand times. It's pre-internet. We don't have any locus to figure out, did everyone in America just have the same reaction that I did? And so it's it's a cult thing. It's a cult thing. It's one of the first network television shows in America that demands home video release as, on a faster schedule. They had the box sets with the three VHS in them, yes. and they had the different colored yep. X shadows, had all of them. Um, yes. And I'm telling you, we talked this about this before where it was yeah. like, Matt and I talked about the fact that, because I caught the first episode, I remember vividly, first episode I ever saw, I was living in Germany, England. I was living in England at the time, and it was ICE, and it was on AFN, okay. like on base, whatever, the one channel that we had, um, and we were like, oh, this is great, but I never saw episodes one through seven fully until like okay. much later. I didn't even know there really? was a first Tombs episode because okay. we yeah. missed the first. And it was that time right. frame where if you missed it, 
Godspeed. So like you better hope I, I, that oh, comes yeah, out. It, it, yeah, yeah. yeah, just the most brutal feeling in the world. And like yes. I had, I comment, I, co I mean, I commandeered the family VCR that had the old digital clock that would cause it to sort of flip on, yes. um, like the way the yes. an old alarm clock would work to record them. And I kept, I kept them volumized and inventoried and all this kind of stuff. And um, so I remember exactly where I was for the pilot. And then I remember after the pilot aired, I was like, this is it. This is, this is it. This speaks to me on an entertainment level, on a spiritual level on. And then again, just a, there was so much instant affinity that I drew for yeah. those people. Um, like, it's just, it's bizarre to me how much it still sticks with me. Now we can get to the bad parts and it is a fundamentally flawed piece of pop art, especially at the end and the other end. Yeah. Um, but I put those first five years up against, uh, up against Citizen Kane, anything. Yeah. It's, it's per, it's perfect pop culture. And it, and it, I mean, we will, I think we will get into the, the flaws mostly because I, I think those were encountered because this show was doing stuff that, that other shows had not done. And this was sort of, no. uh, this was forging a new territory in how you make stuff and, and how it was consumed. It, Right, they ran yes. into they yeah. ran into obstacles that no one had encountered before because no one had tried stuff like this. Yeah, but well, I, no one. There, serialized storytelling was forbidden. Right, Every, you know everything in a forty-six minute dramatic script on network television had to be self-contained because yes. of the the limitations of the medium, and that you're, you know, it's it's the, like the old Stanley principle of like every comic book is someone's first, and so you have mm -hmm. to be able to deliver all of the necessary context sometimes within ninety seconds of a show starting, yeah. and so. This show was audacious enough to build out one of the most, well, certainly one of the most incomplete, one of the most greatest mm -hmm. incomplete pieces of story ever, yeah. where not only are we going to build out serialized storytelling in between the, the you know, the, the, the MOWs, Monster of the yeah. Week, but like, we're going to do this for years, and it's going to become so myriad and complex that at some point, I've read this in multiple places, like the writer's room by season six is having to go through and be like, Okay, what have we done? Like, not in, not in a reductive way, in a like, I, they did not understand where the myth arc was going themselves. Yeah. And even, I think Carter kind of put himself in circles a few times. Yeah. Um, it's funny because in the series finale, when they do finally sequentially recount the major beats of it, you're like, that violates so many rules of storytelling. And you just realize, <laughs> like, and Matt, as you're saying, like, it was just part of what they had to deal with in network television in the nineties. Like right. you don't get Sopranos. You don't get any of those shows that come breaking after. Bad. Yeah. Without, well, yeah, literally breaking bad um, <laughs> sure. without, without this happening. Yeah. I get, yeah. that's always my favorite piece of breaking bad trivia is to talk about drive. And I think honestly, yes. it instant, it instantly appeals to most breaking bad fans because Vince, like even yes. visually, cause I think the show production had already moved to LA by that time. Where like you have Cranston, you have that open sort of arid part of California. It kind of looks like a Breaking Bad episode. Yes, it's very so, southwestern yeah. looking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, wherever you guys want to go, I can. I, so I will rant uh, oh, here's here's what I here's what I want to ask you first, Stephen, because on a on a personal level, you you mentioned something that's a really interesting part of this show, which is the concept of nerd culture in the early '90s is. For, for for younger listeners here, and when I talk to my kids about it, like I think they understand the concept of a nerd being a shunned figure of some kind because they've yes. watched like Disney Channel sitcoms and things like that where it's right. a trope. But I don't think they have a real understanding of what that is like in real life that liking something, liking a piece of pop culture made by one of the biggest corporations in the world was actually yeah. somewhat embarrassing and would get you made fun of. Like, I, because that isn't, I mean, it just doesn't happen at all no. today. The biggest thing no, in the world. No one's going to ever nerdy. understand it. Right. But, but, but yeah, I, mean, I, mean, like, I mean, I can remember liking this show and none of my friends watched it really. And I talked to like my parents' friends about the show because they watched it and, and there was, there's no like shame with an adult, but that, that's a sure, weird yeah. thing. That's a weird thing to be like a teenager watching a thing that's probably really made for you and you can't really openly admit that you like the thing. No. And, and the first time I actually remember a social interface about the X-Files was tops, which was mainly a primarily a baseball card company. Mm -hmm. They got the publishing rights for the comic series. And so when I would go to the comic store, 
when the first, second, third issue came out, you know, I put that in my rotation. And so I would see people doing the same thing. I think that might've been the first time that I, I encountered someone else in the wild, which is so weird <laughs> because this was, you know, by season three, this is a top 20 show in America, which means Immensely again, popular. if you're young listening to this, that means like 20 or 30 million people are tuning in yeah. because there was, there yeah. were no entertainment options back then. It was like four channels plus cable. Yeah. So um, that and I do think this slowly helps break down some of the nerd stigma because it is it is a network television show. It's highly accessible. One thing that's weird for me, even now to admit, was I'm 12 when it debuts, almost 13. And to this day, even like my wife will rib me. She's like, oh, you've got such a crush on Scully. I really didn't. I just, oh. like, I, I viewed them as like adult, like, like fraternal yeah. figures in my life. But I didn't get it until I was like 18. I'm like, oh, they became sex symbols. Yes. Oh, like yeah. they're on the cover of all like, those magazine you covers. covers. Rolling Stone. Yeah. Do you remember the yeah. one of them in bed together? Yeah, that like, was a Rolling Stone cover. I was I Rolling Stone. Being like, huh. She had the very <laughs> sexy Rolling Stone cover. They so the first this is all this stuff. I could go into like the background of the stuff, and that was why I wanted you to come on, Stevens, because like you get this. So when they cast her, the the network wanted. I think the quote was something like someone leggier, blonder, and like chestier. Yeah. Like they wanted yeah. like this, you know, six they foot looking. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it's hilarious for me to look back on because Jillian Anderson is objectively gorgeous. Like she's oh yeah, I mean, stunning. It's so like now. Yeah. to complain, yeah. but they were like makeup covering up her beauty mark that's on her lip because right. they thought it was too sexy for her to like be the serious doctor lady that's like yeah. the, the skeptic she can't also be sexy um right. but the the way that they that's the stuff that i remember it hitting i had those the lord of the flat files uh vanity fair cover with david De i mm -hmm. where you say you didn't have a crush on scully i had a crush <laughs> on david <Duke> <laughs> i mean I, I i probably certainly i probably certainly did it's still like oh uh, you know, we've all experienced this professionally working in these jobs where like it's nothing will phase you in terms of a celebrity yeah. encounter or like, especially because we all have sports background, like, yeah, whatever that's, that's ex athlete or ex coach. You're not going to bother me. But yeah, I think if I probably ran across Jillian Anderson to, to this day, I would come <laughs> off as a fumbling idiot. Um, that's, a, that's a different level of, of uh, mental hurdle to meet someone who you yeah. thought was hot when you were a kid. That's a weird thing to well, experience. And, yeah. I think I think it was Kevin Smith who said this. That, that, like, there's a division. There's like the people who were famous when you were young, mm -hmm. and then everything after, and that always is. You, they never really leave that pedestal. Right. Yeah. So I think I think it's part of that. I also think that like, I think it spoke to a really almost again impossible to describe time in which terrorism was defined domestically. The economy was almost never thought about okay pre 9 11 hmm. post berlin wall any existential dread that defines the the space program of the 50s on everything after world war ii you can find something that's a little bit more tangible than you can in this one pocket in the 90s like so <laughs> it's it's that like post it's, it's almost the time between the two world trade center attacks right you know the one that doesn't work and the one that does and that reframes us as, oh, we have we have a localized enemy. But in the 90s, you conspiracies were leftist. They weren't conservative. There was a general thought that the government is not reliable, but also is menacing in ways like we, we ascribe so much intelligence <laughs> yes. to the government, which in the digital age, we, we're like, God, these people are so stupid. Um, but you, the ability to pull off the big sort of trick that this show does yeah is that it makes you think the depth and the intelligence of the federal government to even be able to contain like this show tells you that we've contained a conspiracy or we've created a conspiracy to contain a, a, an incredibly world-changing piece of information it's persistent in action so it keeps happening and on top of that we've negotiated and are working multiple with multiple factions of an extraterrestrial sort of culture <laughs> on multiple levels and we're also doing this on a geopolitical level because there's the whole stuff that happens in Russia. Right. There's various other elements. So all this kind of stuff. We've crossed all political and and um, you know uh, national boundaries yep. to build the syndicate. Yep. And it's kind of amazing to think about now as adults. But also, at the time, I remember kind of going to my 
there was a, there was an item ironically in the post that I read one day that Anderson and Duchovny got to visit the FBI, the, the Hoover building. And my dad was there at the, not there when it happened, but he, that he was, he was Washington field office. And then he was a uh, national future task force moving around in the FBI. And I was like, one, I didn't know about this and how dare you like got really <laughs> upset about it. Like, and he finally, I think he kind of just let loose as an actual FBI agent. And his number one criticism of the show was you have no idea how impossible it would be both with the fecklessness of bureaucracy and just the ineptitude of the American government to hide this conspiracy. So he didn't mind, he didn't mind alien virus that takes over your mind. He didn't (laughs) mind various monsters of the week. He didn't mind fluke man living in the sewers. Like none of that was the issue. His fundamental problem as an actual agent, the FBI was there's absolutely, Oh, you know what his biggest issue was the travel budget. Yeah, 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 he, he goes, yeah. This comes up goes, a lot. Yeah. He's in a different city every week. He yeah. goes, "Do you know the paperwork I have to I have to fill out if I drive to like Paul's <laughs> church and back?" The number of cars for those they you don't know is like thirty miles. Right. There's a lot of traveling oh, yeah, to the, the Pacific. Do you know how many Ford Tauruses they wreck on that show? Destroy, absolutely <laughs> ruined. Hotel rooms torn apart. Like they, the the number yeah, the, I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> he lives <laughs> in the. He's the basement guy, right? He's the basement guy because he's a pariah, right? The yes. dude literally has a six-figure, high six-figure travel budget every year. Yeah. I want to know what the government had to, like, their medical insurance also had to cover because the number of times oh, that, like... Man. Oh, sure. They're, they're in the hospital a lot. Yeah. The number of times yeah. that one of them has been shot, <laughs> the number of times that one of them ends up in a cold tub in, like, Alaska. <laughs> like, my it's fan, I, I, hilarious. My, <laughs> like, anytime there's a firearm discharge in the FBI, there's an intense <laughs> report. Like Mulder, do you know like the amount of like re- the review board that Mulder would actually go? It wouldn't just be like Skinner doing the best sort of like gruff lieutenant yeah. kind of version. Your ass and mine are in a sling, Mulder. I mean, it would be like we are absolutely shutting this down immediately, not because we're trying to keep the conspiracy going, but because like hope. My, oh my God, you were just a walking liability. Like, what are you gonna like? He's You're in a coal mine in West things. Virginia? Like, God. <laughs> How did you, where did he go in Little Green Men, actually, where he's, like, in Nicaragua or something and, like, shooting at lights coming on the doorway? Yes, for I'm sure, like, yeah, yeah. He just, like, yeah, just firing off rounds. Yeah. As a, you're a domestic, a domestic federal police officer outside of the country without notification of his superiors <laughs> discharging his service weapon. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, no, no the show is like, perfect. <laughs> To rescue, it is perfect. To yeah. rescue Scully in the movie, like he rents like a, like a giant transformer-looking snowmobile, and I'm just like, and I, <laughs> I remember my dad, it. my dad coming home in his like service-issued undercover vehicle, which is like a Dodge Intrepid, being like, "No one touch the car; they'll charge me for the gas." And I'm like, "This is not lining up. This is not Did lining you, up at all." So speaking of the movie, um, so I have a vivid memory of going to see the movie. I was again was yeah. living overseas. Uh, I think we were, we were in Germany at that time. Came home. I spent the summer with my grandparents um, in North Carolina, and my grandfather, who had watched zero items of X-Files prior agreed to take me to the theater to see this movie when it came out. First of all, I think the movie is actually fantastic. It the first one is great. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. So, and so we're sitting there in the theater, which again, he thinks is too loud just off the bat. Of course. Um, the first time cigarette smoking man shows up, he loudly leans over and is like, is that Mulder's friend? Like in the, like, can't hear <laughs> yelling thing. That's um, X-Files. That's him. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's the guy. Um, kind, but, kind of, kind of. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, it's actually his dad. They know each other. find yeah. out later. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was just one of those, it felt, they did such a good job. Like, it felt like a movie. I will always remember the first time you see Mulder and Scully in that, and they roll up in those blue FBI jackets. They're in, what, Dallas? And yeah. they both look fantastic. The chemistry has never been better. And that's saying something that's like seasons one through five, the chemistry is off the charts. And I'm not even just saying sexual chemistry. This is what I don't think shows have really been able to replicate as well to any point since is, and this is all credit to well, the writing and then actually David and Jillian, because their ability to work off of each other, you from the jump, in season one, when they go to Oregon, as he always says, um, is perfect. Oregon, like you, you immediately Oregon believe it. Like it's perfect in the way that they build the chemistry over five seasons. But they show up in the beginning of this movie trying to find this bomb, and there's all that back and forth. Like they're 
banter was always so good. It just, yeah, that was, you know, I'm in the middle of watching better call Saul. And I, I, you make a great point that there, there, there are a lot of great shows where Mm -hmm. all the characters hate each other and there's not, (laughs) I can't think of a ton of shows where you have those like two characters and the show is kind of built around their chemistry. And actually Better Call Saul is sort of built around that. It has a male and female yeah. lead that are that it's fun to watch them together because they they like each other and they bounce off each well, other. Well, I think a lot of shows tried or did something similar, but even like so like Bones, whether or not you liked Bones or whatever, I think that they and, and it is a spiritual successor to X Files. Um, yeah, this, Castle the, the, spiritual the successor. To the yeah. imitation shows that, sh- that that appear starting in like ninety five through yeah. like oh one. Wow, there were so many like let's just do supernaturally thing and then have our two leads have sexual attention but not do anything about it. But usually in a, a couple of those, like I think Castle, I don't I've never seen all of Castle, but Castle, Bones, some of those, like they actually get together relatively early. And I understand that like Mulder and Scully do end up getting a together. lot of the Buffy verse is kind of built yes. off of that mm-hmm. same a lot of the oh, same definitely. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that X Files did that was so great for so long was there were the, you know. Matt and I talked about the first part of the episode that literally shipping relationshiping started yeah. with X-Files. Like yeah. That is yes. a phrase that was Absolutely. coined on an X-Files yes. fan board. And that is the coolest mm-hmm. thing to me because while it started pre-internet, this show grew up with technology. So over the course of the nine, we'll say the nine seasons of initial run, you see more cell phone usage. You see more internet yeah. usage. There's a couple episodes that are clunky around technology taking over things or whatever else. But it's so cool to see that this this the fan base of the X Files literally changed the way we watch television forever. Like because yes. of the way that it was, and it was perfectly designed to be attractive to people that were also interested in things like the internet becoming bigger. So the fan groups that they was the first online fan fiction, like, cause Star Trek did like the zines and stuff like that. But it's, so that's the stuff that's fascinating to me is this show. And there's definitely things to nitpick, but this show undoubtedly changed the way that we consume television forever. It's incredible. What? And I think that the, again, and I don't know how they got away from the kind of network notes that are, that feel mandatory for other shows, but essentially ignoring the obvious romantic subplot until they actually like, it's funny because then it's, and it's again, in like a storyteller's vantage point, they just jump ahead and it's, we're not going to even do, we're, we're, we're not going to do the courtship. We're going to go straight into, we're completely loving and committed to each other. We actually have a child. Like yeah, we had a baby. Um, <laughs> I, I think as far as, as far as female characters and what they were supposed to represent and how they were supposed to service the story. What's so funny now is it's so preposterous back then that people are like, she is a medical doctor mm-hmm. and an FBI agent. A yep. med- so she's fully through meds, residency and everything else, undergrad, med school and FBI training has to be recruited, has to go through Quantico. And no, there's no way to add that up and have it make sense for, for Jillian Anderson's age at the time. Yeah. And I remember that being a knock now it, it was, it, there's a weird misogynist thing that starts with her that like we see in other fandoms later on, but she just sort of supersedes it, which is kind of, and we can move on after this. Like it's kind of the sad tragedy of where Carter decides to go when they bring the show back of this super insane, you know, the CSM subplot and the impregnation and all this sort of nonsense. And I think it right. undercut what she built for years and years and years. The biggest testament being like when Duchovny leaves, they're not as good. They're just not obviously, but she's still compelling. She still has, she like her character has enough agency and dynamic and, and interesting, you know, points that it's, you know, she carries it for a long time. Yeah. I will say I'm one of the feet. My, well, my sister, she was like, you better rank up season eight pretty high. Cause I do like dog it. I think that I think Robert Patrick. I don't. Know. I like Dog and Andrea. I like him. Like, Reyes yeah, initially. I, I was like, oh, this is a little too much. Um, but season nine, Reyes loved her. So it's there's it's a weird. Yeah. It's definitely not as good. I hundred percent agree because like that's sure, the thing yeah. that it's built yeah. on is the Duchovny, um Anderson. Yeah. Just it's that that, that carried the it. show. They're Mulder and Scully forever. Like this is like how it is. Yeah. Um, but and there's so, so many great things along when the first couple seasons she perfects the 
Mulder. Like, you cannot be serious. <laughs> Voice and face so well, so quickly, where he's like, what if I told you demon baby snatching? And she's like, yeah. bruh. Like, yeah. it's so she's, good. It's, there's nothing like it. It is perfect. She does, she does more with the same work essentially the same script work of uh, i mean like like your sweatshirt it, it becomes yeah. a joke yeah. and she's able to emote and and convey more with less than which again yeah. was kind of part of the time in network television but yeah you look back now and she's just she's amazing yeah 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 uh we we could do we could talk about this all day obviously we yes. we could we could keep rolling i we do like to have a game show segment before we lose you steven and uh okay Obviously, this week, uh, it's going to be about the X-Files. This is going to be mm-hmm. a, a real clash of titans between you and Caroline. I'm worried. I'm nervous. I'm, I have I'm the benefit of re-watching. He well, has the yeah, benefit I was of, saying, like, knowledge. Before we went on, before we went on, <laughs> you've done a full series. You've done, a, what, a one through nine watch? I am on season has, 11. I, I'm I on will, season 11 now. I yeah. will say this, okay. Stephen. I, I feel like I know Caroline's weaknesses, and I've tried to tailor the contest okay. to, to take advantage of that. So, All right. So, so uh, I, I do have a quick little jingle to, to start the game show before we begin. Chandler, can you okay. play that? Weird homicides, and I'll be the to your molder. I'll be the greatest fan of X Files. You guys, you guys went with a Edwin McCain cover. Went like, with an Edwin McCain cover. I felt like that was nineties. Is enough. he Canadian? Oh, it feels like it might line up too. <laughs> I don't, I thought it was like a very southern maybe. I don't yeah, know. He actually yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Could be either. I'm glad you I'm glad at wow. least it was a recognizable reference. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Oh, All yeah. Right. yeah. Steven, yeah. Steven, we're gonna start with you first. What is the name okay. of Mulder's alien abductee sister? Oh, Samantha. Samantha is correct. That's one. Samantha. <laughs> All right, Caroline. What is the cigarette smoking man's real name? CGB Spender. That's correct. Right. Wow. I, I was going to call it out if she didn't go with the full initials. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yes. Which sounds right. like a strain of marijuana now. <laughs> Surely someone has made that. I bet you can oh, find yeah. it somewhere. All right. Probably in Vancouver. Yeah. Steven, in season seven, the X-Files had a crossover oh. episode with what long-running oh, reality Millennium. TV series? Wait, wait, oh, wait. No, no, no. Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah wait, sorry. fair. We'll Long let him. Oh, we'll let him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's cops. It was cops. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Cops. Yeah. Great episode. I almost did ask a millennium question. <laughs> yeah. Lance Watched Harrison. all of that. Frank Black. Watched all of them. Yeah. Then, Same. Like, yeah, yeah. That's another yeah. podcast one day. Millennium's pretty good. Eight the side dishes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of side dishes, Caroline, can you name any of the three lone gunmen? Melvin Frohickey. Wow. Hard. First name too. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, last question for both of you, Stephen. In, C- in the wait, season- can, we name, can you name the rest? Um, Langley, Byers, and Frohickey. Yes, yeah. I'll, I will accept that. That was good. <laughs> I had I had two confidential sources in my phone uh, when I worked yes. at Vox when I was doing source work a lot, and I saved them in my phone as the actors' real names. That's how. Oh, wow. It so, t- uh, Tom Braidwood, uh, Bruce I could Harwood. Yeah, I had Dean ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean Haglund so was the I third. Used, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then I had a really, and then I had a really, really good source uh, a couple of months ago, and it was under Jerry Harden. Uh, I was going to say Stephen Williams. <laughs> no, <laughs> although that that would have been that my first password on the first smart device I ever owned. I don't, it was like a calculator, maybe was was SRSG. Love that. So that what he writes in blood before yes. Maria. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Marita, Marita Covarrubias, who Good I made this what too easy. <laughs> why, why, why that? Like, we're in the scripting process, and we hire right? that white a woman, and we go with we go Covarrubias. Covarrubias. Like, and she's played by the woman okay. who plays Lori on yes. Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dead, I was like, yeah, how yeah. do I find her so annoying? And Marita, then I Marita Covarrubias sounds like a name that like that that congressional republicans would be like shouting as if we like are all supposed to know who that is you know with well, a name like, at a press like, you, conference. You think, like, they, like they're gonna hire a south american actress for that and then you go like nope they got her from martha's <laughs> vineyard all right that works 
who has a, like a, an affair with Crycheck at some point that That's they right. got a spring oh, on. Oh yeah, big time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. yeah, yeah. All right, fi- final question for both of you. All right, Steven, in the season five episode Bad Blood, which famous actor portrays a redneck vampire? That's a Gilligan show or a Gilligan episode. It is a Gilligan episode. That's the episode that has the kid from Sandlot in it. I it think. does, yes. That, but that that is not who I'm referring to. <laughs> and it has. Oh my god! I don't know. I'm gonna hate myself if I can't remember this out. Um, Robert Stack's in it. Yes. <laughs> this is incredible. And, I'm just mostly impressed that you can name like the rest of the cast and who wrote it. But I'm going backwards. I can't, I can't the remember the name person in the cast. Wow. Well, no, because Luke Wilson's in there, isn't he? It's Luke Wilson. It's Luke Wilson. Yeah. I will give you Luke. <laughs> Wilson. No, 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 but no, but he's the sheriff. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he again, is, he also, is a I haven't. Vampire. Yes, I have not done. And what season is that? That's five. Season five. Five, right? Okay, so yeah. so five actually five falls within my sort of like biblical structure of like it's I pretty good. Gospel, it's pretty good but... stuff in season. No, five. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I haven't done a series rewatch since maybe twenty thirteen or fourteen. I probably best do. Is this is the episode where when Scully tells retells the story, she's like, "Oh, he was so handsome." Like, and every, he looks like Luke Wilson. Yeah, yeah. yes, and then when Mulder right, tells the right. story, he's yes. like a bumbling he's idiot. Dumber. In that, yeah, yeah in that dumber. Scully's that's looking right. at him like, you know, I'll die. I will say the, the main thing I remember from that episode is that uh, Scully is doing an autopsy where the victim, the victim's last meal was pizza, and she suddenly goes. I really want some pizza right now, which is yeah, yeah. I have something I feel like I really relate to. Just she's the there is a um, autopsy scenes are so great. All right, I'm real nervous the, now because I'm yeah the pressure's the on. Is, the roll call is crazy. That's also Ryan Reynolds' first on screen credit. Like there's a whole Jack wrote, Black's first television. I wrote show. an entire yes. listicle that went up yesterday. Forty, the forty like best X Files guest stars from yeah. Peter Boyle. Yeah. To hey, Ryan check Reynolds. it out at for the win. Yeah. It's like. It, Dean Norris was in the FMS Galata. Yep. So they have all of yeah. the Breaking Bad guys. Obviously, we talked about Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. Aaron Paul is in like season nine. Was Bob um, Odenkirk ever yep. on there? No, no Bob Odenkirk that I remember. Yeah. Um, he would have been, he would have no, been pulling in this comedy game yeah. back then. Oh, Giovanni my God. Yeah. Giovanni Dude, Ribisi was like, in the one with Jack Black. Like the, the guest starring is... Giovanni's the one who actually gets the lightning. Yeah, power. Darren Peter right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, yep. well, this is the nerdiest episode we've done. This is amazing. <laughs> All right, Caroline, you are the pressure's on here. Okay? I know. Okay. In the season four episode, Small Potatoes, ri- also written by Vince Gilligan, mm. Mulder and Scully investigate a small town where babies are being born with what abnormality? Tails. Tails is right. <laughs> it both, is one of my digital tails. You both swept it. I, I have. I was inadequate to the talent I was dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> they have the stigil tales. That's right. Um, oh. And it turns out that somebody is, was it a doctor? Somebody in the community is like doing insemination, so it's right? The guy, right? It's actually, this is one of the ones where like the actual, when you think about the storyline, the guy ends up in jail. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, it's real creepy. He's essentially, <laughs> yes. he can shapeshift yes. and he turns into the husband. That's right. That's right. That are yeah, struggling yeah. to conceive yeah. and gets all of them yeah. pregnant. Uh, and so all yeah. the babies have tails and then he knocks Mulder out. It's one of two times that Mulder is impersonated. Um, and it's excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other one is, on uh, Scully. the other one is the, uh, Michael, Michael uh, McDonald, McKean, right? yeah. again, uh, yeah. Mike, Michael McKean, not Michael McDonald. Uh, again, another, another, another Breaking Bad right? Yeah. Another yeah. Gilligan verse. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. It's that, um, a, that two-parter perfection. Anyone playing David Duchovny, like where it's not him, where they finally, where they basically <laughs> are like, Mulder is so hot and has all this stuff going for him and he's such a loser. That's where he gets the waterbed that persists. Mm-hmm. So right. he gets back from this trip to the desert, doesn't remember any of the body switch or anything, well, but everything that wasn't in that time snap stayed the same. So he gets back and has a waterbed. <laughs> in one of those in one of those PR runs where he's on like Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, all that stuff, the yeah. writers start really giving him hell for it. And it's where you see those lines show up like um where, you know, the circus freaks are all like, I would hate to look like that. Can you imagine how sad a life that is? And it's a wide <laughs> shot on Mulder. It, the like, writers are putting that in to mess with him because he's doing all these magazine spreads. Um, and then there's also, again, talking about cameos. 
Uh, I can't remember the actor's name. He is in Tokyo Drift, and he was the quarterback in the movie version of Friday Night Lights. Lucas Lucas Black Black. is in the film. Yeah. And he has hands down one of the best worst it's it, well he's from alabama but he does he tries to do like north texas lubbock accent kind of high nasal and he's like y'all look like door-to-door salesmen and like and again it's another <laughs> knock on duchovny and again like from a fashion standpoint too those first two seasons when there's no budget they look so bad because they're literally off the rack yeah. and then you're talking about like the glow like the first scene of the movie is a glow up because yeah. they have this budget they, now. And they now look they're unbelievable in the movie. Yeah. And and also just yeah. like yeah. they're aware of it too. So they they're those the scenes where there's like intimate where their like faces are really close to each other is Oh yeah. Do you almost uh, kiss with the, no, with the bee sting? Oh. All right, are we yeah. getting out of here? Because... We are we're wrapping up. Yeah. You guys have okay. done a phenomenal job. So I just job. realized Stephen, so thank you for everything. I, <laughs> I don't keep anything like at all. Um I think everybody has that moment in their life where their parents are like, we're cleaning out your room. And I'm like, good. Um, I have hung on and I just reached from these on my shelf. I'll turn the camera a little wrong. Yeah. So like I have a bookshelf right over here. Next to podcast. So these are original. This, these are original. So that's a shooting script of And it's a shooting script of of So they sold these. Seth Green was in that one. They sold these out of the back of a magazine that I used to buy at Suncoast Video. Kids, ask your parents. Um, and so these are repurposed shooting scripts. So it'll be post edit. So it won't actually be the original shooting scripts where they'll have like cuts and they'll change stuff. Yeah. But it, this was how I learned how to write uh, write script formatting. Oh, that's I had these and I would literally oh, cool. I learned. So I hung on to them all these years. Yeah, that's that's excellent. amazing. Some great yep. some great memorabilia to show off to, to cap off an excellent visit by Stephen Godfrey. Thanks so much for joining us to, to gush about X Files, Stephen. Uh, where where can people find your stuff? Um, you can find me on social at thirty eight Godfrey. Uh, anything related to college football is gonna be at Split Zone Do. I'm a columnist for the Washington Post. That's enough. That's all I I mean that's I don't need that's, to go that's, that's a lot. lot. It's a lot of that's too, it's too much to be no, honest. It's yeah, perfect. it's too much. He's a he's a he's an incredibly prolific and uh and and genius guy and we all love Stephen Godfrey. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on the pod, Stephen. Bye y'all. Thank y'all. See ya.